1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Future Projection Podcast. This is the 11th episode of the podcast. I'm Carlos Clazo, as always, joined by Ben Badler, who has been grinding on the road lately. Ben, how's it going, man?
2: It's going great. Going great. Yeah, I just got back home from a long Northeast road trip. It's, man, I saw so many, so many players, especially in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. It's such a stacked year, like we've been talking about. For the Northeast, and even just like talking to other or just talking to Northeast area scouts, they're like, Yeah, man, we just like it's overwhelming how many players we have to see. And now, Joe Mack, a catcher in way, 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 way upstate New York, practically up in Canada, it's a real far drive to get out there. And he's basically the only player you're (laughs) seeing when you're out there is just starting up. I think he was just, they were saying he was in his like his state championship for. For volleyball, like he's like a oh, wow. kick ass, yeah, like a kick-ass volleyball player who's also wow. gonna be a first-round pick, <laughs> and is just like no, I'm gonna go out and dominate at volleyball yeah. too. So he's just getting started on on his season. So I tell you, yeah. you get a
1: lot of multi-sport athletes just in general. When you're dealing with the top prospects, or just prospects in general. There's a lot of football players, a lot of basketball players. I don't know that we get a ton of multi-sport volleyball players. So I like that.
2: That's a fun one i think that's a um, first for me yeah occasionally like swimming like i think aaron hicks was luke
1: a was a really good swimmer out of golfer. high school he's a Georgia yeah. Tech now I'm trying yeah, to think, think of any f- other ones
2: yeah hicks was in, i forget if he was on the golf team or not but like he was a oh apparently golfer. um carter stewart was like a scratch golfer so he was
1: really good at golf um let me see if there are any other ones that, that jump up i think uh i mean south relic played hockey i'm sure with a lot of the northern kids and and i would guess like almost all of the Canadian kids, they play yeah, hockey. That's why,
2: yeah, and and that too I think is why if you look at the if you look at Canadian hitters, there's an extremely disproportionate amount of them who hit left-handed. So every time you have a Canadian national team, it's like lefty, lefty, lefty. Because and my my understanding of hockey is extremely limited <laughs> to say the least but i guess like the proper way in hockey to hold a stick like if you're if you're right-handed you hold it with your dominant the top hand. hand at the top yeah, right. your top hand on the uh, uh, on the your dominant yeah. hand on the top i so actually had
1: yeah. i had this exact conversation with uh i, b- I believe a scout with uh with a hockey team it was really random but you're talking to hockey scouts I I don't I don't know a ton of hockey scouts. This is not like a, a common thing for me, but I just like bumped into one, um, and was kind of just asking because he was interested in like just the baseball scouting process, uh, and so I was curious about like what went into it for hockey. So we just kind of had a general conversation about like the crossover and the differences, and and I think that was something that was brought up that most people like you're you're saying the left handed is common just because your dominant hand goes on the top of the stick, which. I would have never thought of like, I've never played hockey in any, any serious way, but I would definitely go out there and try to hit right-handed just because I played baseball and was right-handed, but that is interesting. Uh,
2: yeah. I think they, they just, so many of them grow up playing, like, just grow up playing hockey because you're mm-hmm. Canadian. And if you don't, they'll, I don't know, they'll take away your citizenship. Yeah. I think so. your citizenship is remote. <laughs> we'll have to check with
1: Alexis to see if that is accurate. But I mean, I think it's a safe assumption to make at this point. But no, you, you mentioned um, like Joe Mack just getting started and I, I can't imagine, I don't know if we've, we've talked about the Northeast a lot, which makes sense because you're up there and the class is so good this year in the Northeast, but I really feel for the area scouts who have to go see like so many more players than they would in a typical year in a season that is as compressed as the Northeast is. Like once the high school season starts, I don't see how you watch any college games because you just have to go see all these high school players. I'm sure there's plenty of overlap, so where you can't see like priority guys on the same day. Like it's just such a short season for them. Was it tough for you just to figure out like the players you wanted to go see, and and you don't even have to cover them to the extent that actual area scouts do?
2: Yeah, there were there were definitely priority guys I wanted to make sure to see I wanted to make sure that I saw uh Benny Montgomery center fielder out in central Pennsylvania Lonnie White Jr. a two-sport well committed to Penn State for football which I guess they're pretty good at for my nascent football college football knowledge these days but uh for that and for baseball he's he's in that Philadelphia uh area. So I wanted to make sure I saw multiple games of those guys got to do that. And then, yeah, man, there's just so many pitchers and you're sort of at the mercy of like the scheduling of, of when they're going to throw. Cause like, you know, like Lonnie white, Benny Montgomery. All right. They're, they're playing, you know, three, four days a week. So I can see them on different days and that's fine. But the pitchers obviously are, you know, they're throwing once a week. And if two guys are throwing the same day, you got to make some, decisions but yeah i got to see chase petty who is like lebron james of new jersey high school baseball there yeah, what, what's the environment like at his games man
1: he's got the the broadcast following him around
2: so the day i went to go see him it actually worked out great because the first the first day he threw i was in that area or i, I was in that pennsylvania like like PA, New Jersey area, and Michael Morales was throwing the same day, uh, a right-handed pitcher uh, who's in our top 100 prospects right now. And I went out to go see him instead of Petty. And then the day I drove back from, from like South Jersey back up to the Boston area, Petty was throwing again. But that same day, Morales was pitching in a playoff game Like, you know, I didn't know this was going to happen when I was scheduling it out, but he was pitching in a playoff game against Benny Montgomery's team. So there were, I think there were just a ton of scouts at that game. And then Frank Mazzucato, my man, or I guess my all over him, still 17 years old, who he was that big, big pop-up pitcher in the Northeast where I was like, I don't think he's going to be staying under the radar for (laughs) much longer. And it sounds like it was a zoo. At his start, there were some, like, like not a lot of area scouts. I think a lot of national guys yeah. and, uh, um, who, who were at his outing, because I think a lot of them just had never seen him in person before and got a lot of buzz. I'm sure our video and, and story didn't hurt either, so it sounded like there were a ton of guys at those two starts. And then Chase Petty was on a 50-pitch count limit just predetermined for the game. And he's throwing, like the next week, he's throwing at the Trenton Thunder Stadium at 7 p.m. I think it is against Don Bosco, which is one of the better prep teams. They have a bunch of D1 commits. It seems like they're always good. Yeah. So I think there's like, there's going to be a gazillion scouts at that. So they're selling tickets for it. I think it's limited capacity. I wouldn't be surprised if it like sold out or something. <laughs> it's going to be, um, Pretty, pretty intense there. So it actually worked out great for me because there was probably like 15, 20 scouts at that game, which is nice for me because I've been able to move around a little bit better. And, um, at some, like at some of those fields, his was okay, but, you know, I go to some of these other high school fields and most, like most of them, I, again, like I was saying, I was there to see Benny Montgomery and Lonnie white jr and they're outfielders, but I shared some photos, I think on my yeah. Instagram stories. And I was like, you can't, <laughs> you can't like what, one of them had a, what, I don't know what the name for it is, but like a wraparound thing behind home plate. So you literally cannot sit behind the plate <laughs> and see what's going on from that angle. And another, there were two other ones. What is ones even the through. point in that? Like, why would you put...
1: Like, I really don't understand that. And I also, it is really shocking to me because I've yet to make a trip up to the Northeast during the spring just because it was never like, if I could travel the entire year and it was a normal year and you weren't doing the draft up there, I probably would have gone up the Northeast this year just because of how low it was. But like in other years, it's never been like a priority for me to get up there compared to some other areas. So like seeing some of the fields up there compared to what's just normal, around North Carolina and the Southeast in general is, is kind of shocking. And it, it really makes me like appreciate my high school field growing
2: up. Yeah. I think the, the, some of the bigger prep schools, the ones where you're paying like 40 grand a year to send your kid to school, have nice fields. You didn't and, even pay that much to go to UNC. Yeah. And, and should have nice fields for, for that kind of money. But yeah, you see like Chase Petty was thrown off of a, bullpen you can see the video i posted on my instagram i don't even know if it does it just it's not not the nicest in the world and saw dennis collar and i mean he was warming up it was like this hybrid baseball football softball (laughs) field all in one i mean they literally did not have a bullpen so he's just throwing off flat ground warming up to to get ready for the game one of
1: i think one of my favorite ones and it might have been a joshua Baez event i don't remember the player it was but there's one video of someone hitting either a home run or maybe it was a double or a fly out because there's no outfield fence and there's like a building in left field and the left fielder is going into like this alley <laughs> to try and catch the ball who is that
2: oh yeah that was i went in to see so bias yeah up here in boston there's like this city league in Boston that these like his travel program plays in it's it's a really cool program that they have up and running to develop players from from who live in the city in Boston and some surrounding cities in in the area and I think it's it's hopefully gonna continue to grow and take off now that I think younger kids who are 13, 14, even younger in that area are seeing all the attention that Baez is getting and his 2022 shortstop, who's also in Boston, Ivan Arias, who's a Vanderbilt commit, commit. He'll be a guy to watch for next year too. So hopefully the success that those guys are getting is going to help build up the Boston City kids playing playing more baseball because I think there's more more upside and growth potential to it but yeah that day they were they were playing at some field in the city in Boston where yeah he just he hit the ball it's <laughs> like you said it was just a like in between a building and like a light tower and
1: <laughs> it literally it looks like, like he's running into like an alley in the middle of some city
2: <laughs> yeah like he clobbered the ball, ball and
1: it was like double (laughs) (laughs) oh that's fantastic
2: but yeah it was uh yeah i got to see him again today his his season finale pitched hit but but yeah man it was uh it was a good road trip there's a ton of ton of talent in the northeast like i said i got to see chase petty he didn't he didn't throw 102 for me (laughs) but I, i know i know he has thrown triple digits for, um, you know, it, it, in the past or, or early on yeah. in the season. Not that early on. I think he's made like four or five starts this year. But it's it's interesting because I think he's – I think it's fair. Like He's probably the most famous high school pitcher in the draft this year. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that,
1: that velocity – it's just very easy to go pretty viral on social media. And when people see like the, the bullpen sessions that were put out on, on Twitter. And and like I said, I mean, there he's been streamed like pretty much every one of his starts this spring. So he's probably more accessible for people. Uh, And he does have a good amount of swag out there on the mound. And when you're throwing that hard, maybe it's hard to not have swag. So I think that that probably would be fair. I don't know if like casual fans or people who are like, Less invested in in draft coverage this far out are as familiar with like Jackson Job or Andy Painter or, or Bubba Chandler that that's probably fair, but um,
2: yeah, that's like I, that's and that's the thing is I don't think anybody well I not that I've surveyed all thirty clubs but certainly from talking to a lot of area guys and and national guys too who've seen him and and then I've also seen other. I mean there's a ton of arms in the northeast but or there's a ton of arms just in New Jersey. <laughs> but just seeing other guys nationally this year, I think Chase Petty is he's, he's he's really talented obviously. I mean he throws up to 102. He he has a plus slider in there. And he, and he's really athletic too. I think he's one of the most athletic pitchers in the draft and he is I I think he's the most famous well-known Name, but I, I don't think or pitchers specifically. Yeah, yeah. for pitchers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry for high school among high school pitchers, okay. but I don't think he is the best high school pitcher. Yeah, in this class, nor do I. Th- yeah, n- nor do I think like I was saying. I don't know that any clubs would view it that way. I, I think it's no. probably it's it seems like Jackson Job mm-hmm. is is really the consensus top yeah. guy for high school pitching. Is that fair
1: to say? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, entering the year, uh, I think Andrew Painter would have been seen as that guy over the summer. He kind of established himself as, as the dude. There are a lot of Mick Abel comparisons. Um, I mean, six foot six, 230-pound, Florida commit, shows like really impressive command of a four-pitch mix. Uh, but then he struggled in a few early starts. Um, I think there are some questions about how impactful is the breaking stuff going to be with him. Um, this isn't to, to bang Painter too much. He's been a lot better in his recent starts. and I, th- I still think he's kind of got all of the traits you want to see from a high school pitcher uh, to have him go off the board in the first round. Um, but everyone that we've spoken to this spring um, seems to be pointing to Jackson Joe being that guy now. Um, he, he definitely entered the year kind of in that first round range along with uh, Petty, along with Joshua Hartle, um let me make sure I'm not missing another prep pitcher that was kind of in that same tier I think those were the three guys right after maybe Chase Burns would have been in that range entering the season but man the reports we got on Job were were very loud essentially from his first start I mean we can talk about like whether or not you would want to invest in a high school right-handed pitcher in the first round or at the top of the first round and, and how that might change depending on the just the overall strength of the class this year just the surrounding talent but i mean if you grade him out there's a lot to like and there's plenty of upside i mean you you're looking at a guy who has got a plus fastball uh he throws a curveball that has a chance to be a solid or above average pitch but the slider is definitely his best offering i mean it's uh it's the freaky spin rate pitch of the class kind of in the same mold as carter stewart's curveball a few years ago it gets into that 3,000 rpm range um and, and multiple scouts have said it's a potentially double plus offering at least plus just great feel to spin that pitch to manipulate it to land it um just all the elements you want to see from a real wipeout offering and then i think the biggest change this spring compared to last summer is just the development of this change up that was the biggest I, change. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> Did not even mean to do that. Um, the biggest develop, development for him was definitely the, the change up progress. I know, I think going into the year, the, the questions for him or, or the areas that scouts wanted to see him improve was just more consistent strike throwing and improved secondaries outside of the slider. And the changeup now sounds like it's a plus pitch. So you're looking at a high school right-hander with three plus pitches or better. And then, just with his athleticism, I think he could probably look at solid or above average control. Not, maybe not above average command. I think there are maybe some people who don't love the delivery. Not to say the delivery is bad, but maybe it's it's one of those instances where he's just such an athletic kid and was a two way guy and, and isn't really super refined in what he's doing in terms of uh, arm action and delivery. But I think he has all the physical attributes you would want for a guy who can still make progress in that area moving forward. But I mean, yeah, it's just a really electric package when you put it all together and and it's a guy who should only continue to get better as he focused exclusively on pitching Because entering the summer. um, He was a shortstop right-handed pitcher, but I think most people thought shortstop was kind of the primary for him. And that changed very quickly after a few outings last summer.
2: Yeah. Reading Alexa's story on him. I mean, I, I obviously liked him a lot before that, but even just reading the reports on it from that is like, Holy smokes. This guy is, this guy sounds just different. And like, there's even more projection in there for him to throw even harder. Not, not that he needs to, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it's like you said, athleticism, good fastball, uh, Wipe out breaking ball He's he's got a it sounds like a potential for a plus change up in there. And it, it seems like he's throwing strikes. It's like, you know, all, all high school right handed pitching is going to be some risk to it. But it's like I, I don't know any more boxes you can check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you're looking for for a high school right handed pitcher or just a high school pitcher. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think he has like just traits that you can't teach um, that you really love to see from, from a guy that might have frontline potential in the future. I mean, that slider, you just can't teach the ability to, although I say this, but it seems like teams are getting better and better at, at helping pitchers take their secondaries to the next level. So maybe that's, that's overstating what you can and can't do in player development, but I just feel like that innate feel for spin is is something that teams really love. And I feel like Job is also the kind of pitcher that you maybe don't get as scared off of because he isn't a guy who is out here throwing in the upper nineties with a lot of effort. Um, So it's a guy that you can see loud stuff now and you can see the fastball kind of continuing to just naturally trend up as he continues to add strength. And just get stronger and get um, more refined in what he's doing on the mound in terms of delivery and mechanics. But right now we have him as the number eleven player in the class, and I think that's the highest we've had a high school right-hander in the last few years. But
2: and this was before Gunnar Hoglund too. What do you What do you mean? Before um, Oh yeah, before his Tommy John. Yes, Gunnar right yeah, now have not officially yet but yeah he
1: should have had it uh, i think when the news broke he was supposed to have the surgery the the next week so he's at 9 right now on our list and then yeah job is 11 so uh, unless someone unless one of these other college hitters that are trending up jumps him which is certainly possible then he'll be inside the top 10 on our ranking and i think there's a very real chance that he goes inside the top 10 in the draft which will be the first time we've had a high school right-hander taken inside the top 10 since 2017 i think Is maybe 28 right? no it would have been 2018 because that was when carter stewart i'll pull up the draft right now but i know the last two years um mick abel was the first high school right-handed pitcher taken a year ago and he was 14 or 15 to the phillies and then the year prior quinn priester to the pirates and that was 17 or 18 so it's been a couple years where just the high school right-handers have not gone at the very top of the draft
2: yeah, I think it's something where normally you just look at it from a zoomed out view and or or maybe more of a surface level view and you think, all right, well, high school right-handed pitcher, there's sort of a ceiling on where those guys are gonna go in the draft today. Certain, so, you know, different than when like Riley Pint and Tyler Kolick and Cole Stewart were going at the very, very top five type pick guys in the draft, we're just not seeing that anymore. And you normally think, all right, well, mechanically, like you said, maybe mid first round, mid mid to back of the first round is when we're going to see a high school, the first high school right-handed pitcher, go off the board. But it it just seems like we've talked about where, yeah, like you have like Henry Davis and and a few other college hitters who are doing well, but you, you don't have those college bats. That and and you know, Sal Frelick is is playing well, but you you don't have a lot of college bats that are just truly dominating and are are clear top 10 overall top pick type of picks in the draft. And then Jaden Hill, Tommy John, Gunnar Hogland, Tommy, like it's it it just seems like all right, well, if, if the top of the draft after those top you know, five or so guys is not what it is in, in a typical year, I, I don't see why Joe would not go, uh, but at least potentially in, in those top 10 overall picks, it's, it's not a, the, the talent in this draft is not distributed. Like it would be in a typical year for, for whatever reason, just natural ebb and, and ebb and flow of talent in different mm-hmm. years. I, I, it's, it's something where, yeah, like early on, I, I wouldn't have thought so, but now just looking at how the board lines up, usually you don't have high school right-handed pitchers moving up the board as the draft comes closer, but it it's kind of seems like that's the case with him, and I don't think he'd be out of place in, in the top ten. Yeah, definitely,
1: and I'll be very curious to see how that helium either continues or, or cools off for him once we get further and further away from his high school season being over, just – Because with the later draft, I mean, we're going to get some distance from when these high school players have gone out there and done it compared to some of these college bats. And it is a cliche, but it happens every year that the college hitters do move up. And I think there are a couple who have a chance to do that, Um, most notably of the guys that you haven't mentioned. I think Matt McLean and Colton Cowser would be the two obvious ones right now. The one thing when you were talking about the college hitters and, and Davis and Frelick, the, the one thing that I don't know if we have in this draft class at the top are college hitters with a lot of impact potential with a lot of power. I mean, if you look at our top college hitters on the board, it's Henry Davis who does have solid power, but it's not anything crazy. It might not be plus, maybe it's plus to the pull side. Then it's Sal Frelick who certainly doesn't have plus power after that uh, Matt McLean who most people think he's more of like a doubles guy, maybe like 15 homers. And then Colton Kowser, who hasn't ever really hit for power until this year. So there are not a lot of huge like boppers who you can feel really comfortable that you're going to hit and hit with a lot of impact. Um, so I, I'm curious to see if a guy like Job does creep into the top 10. And I did pull up the high school right-handers, right-handers who went in the first round in the last few years. The last five that we had drafted were all at pick 15 or later. It was Mick Abel and Nick Bitsco in 2020. Um, Abel went 15 to the Phillies and Bisco went 24 to the Rays. And then in 2019, we had two, um, we had three, excuse me, two in the top 30. Quinn Priester at 18 to the Pirates, Daniel Espino at 24 to the Indians, and then Brennan Malone at 33 to the Diamondbacks. Uh, and then in 18 and 17 were both years where we had high school right-handers go in the top half of the first round. So in 2018, Carter Stewart went eight to the Braves, obviously didn't sign with them. Grayson Rodriguez went 11. Um, Cole Wynn went 15. And then in 2017, it was Hunter Green to Shane Boz 12. So it feels like it's been a lot longer since we've had high school right handers go in the top half, but it's only been a couple of years. So I, I do wonder if it's like you were saying, just the ebb and flow of the talent and, and how different demographics shake up just kind of drives this more than any like real fear of the position or, or the the demographics specifically. Um, but if it is that it, it definitely seems like this is the, the draft class to, to help job out, to get into that top 10 range.
2: Yeah, it's, he, I, I mean, you still have to evaluate him as a high school pitcher because he's going up against high school pitching. But I don't like if he goes to college. I mean, not, he's not going to college, but like if if, if he were in college <laughs> right now as a college freshman, like I don't. Oh, sorry, see, Mississippi. Yeah, I I don't see he I don't I don't see how he struggles. Like mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I I and I and I think he he'll go out and play right if, if, if when he signs. He's not somebody where I would expect him to go out and have any struggles like I, I would expect him to go out and pitch like Quinn Priester did in the Gulf Coast League his first summer which was I mean they, they don't let him throw a lot because they have on pretty tight pitch counts and innings limits there so you're only throwing a few innings at a time but he, he was really good there I, I would expect Job to go out and and do the same thing so yeah just grading him out and looking at the risk and reward. I, I absolutely could see him going in, in the top 10. I mean, I don't know, like how does he, how, how does he compare for you? Like you mentioned Mick Abel mm-hmm. and Quinn Priester. And so far the the early returns on those guys have been very, very good. Obviously Mick Abel was just drafted the last year. So we're going off a lot of alternate site. Stuff from last year and just his early minor league season stuff this year, which has been really good. He's been up to the upper nineties. A lot of really good reports on him. Quinn Priester stuff has taken off too. It sounds like last year at the alternate site and instructional league, it was I mean, the the reports we had on him were as glowing as we had compared to any other pitcher last year again obviously not the same as a normal minor league season to to test him but the early returns on those top two high school pitchers were really good. I don't I don't I don't know how Joe compares to to those guys for you though.
1: Yeah I think I think that he compares pretty well to them. Um I mean just grading them out if we look at the grades that we have on Mick Abel and Quinn Priest right now we've got i'll just do abel first we got a 60 fastball on him 45 curveball 60 slider average change above average control and then with Priester, 60 fastball 60 curveball uh 40 slider 50 change 55 control so
2: you're talking about like the projected future grades that we have on him after the after 2020 this, right yeah
1: so this would be there yeah what we currently like if you if you put, picked up a prospect handbook Those are the grades we would have them with. Um, I think Priesters would not have been as loud at the same time when he was drafted. Obviously he had, we had pretty good feedback on him last year. Right. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough for me to separate is, is Job like a tier better than these two or is the class that he's in just kind of lets him get a little bit higher in the rankings I wouldn't want to compare them just like, "Oh, job is the number eleven prospect in his class, and Abel and Priester were lower in their classes it's It's not quite as easy to translate as that. I think definitely the breaking ball is better that job has, right like at the at the draft- at the time of the draft, I think everyone would would tell you that job's slider is better than either of the breaking balls you thought were best for McAble and for Quinn Priester. um I think physically maybe you would take uh, both Abel and Priester over Job. Uh, Abel definitely has like that ideal pitching frame that you want to see. And he was starting to add strength to it Um, during his spring. He never got to pitch his high school season because of the shutdown, but like he looked like an absolute monster in bullpens. And I think kind of the same thing with Quinn Priester. I actually do think Priester and Job are, are somewhat similar in that Abel seemed like he was a more advanced pitcher at the same time. He, he seemed like he really had a good understanding of what he was doing, really advanced control for his entire pitch mix. Um, but didn't always like show, um, the, the kind of his top end velocity, like he would hit it occasionally and other times the Velo would dip, but in terms of like pitch ability, I'd say maybe Abel was more advanced at the same time than both Priester and Joe, but, but Priester and Job are both very athletic, and I think maybe for different reasons, they're guys who you can feel really excited about them taking big steps forward. Because Priester was a guy who never really had um, like real pitching instruction, and I, I think I say this a lot, but I, I just remember talking to him at the Under Armour All America game and just talking about his development. And he he said that uh, he basically taught himself how to pitch by watching other guys that that he looked up to in the big leagues on YouTube. So for him, it was a lot of just like trying things out and seeing what worked. And then with Job, I think it's, it's maybe similar in the sense that he's never been a guy who's focused on pitching full-time. So just the way you can kind of project them out, I feel like that might be similar just with uh, your like optimism for them taking steps forward when they do start to, to get that pitching instruction at the professional level and start to focus on it, like uh, with a real like professional um, approach I think the stuff is, is fairly similar across the board, like as a whole, but I do think that maybe the, maybe the breaking ball is a difference maker for teams. Maybe the fact that you have a 70 pitch with Job and you didn't really have that with Abel or Priester is enough to, to put him maybe a tick ahead. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, like we have Mick Abel toward the back end of our, our top 100 right now and, and Priester is higher but again like you know Priester's had more, Priester's a little bit older, he has a little bit more development time his stuff has popped a little bit more since his draft it certainly seems like Job is ahead of where Quinn Priester was at the time when the Pirates drafted him it, it probably is more comparable to Abel but it, it, like you said it's, I mean Mick Abel didn't get the pitch <laughs> like he didn't he didn't get a chance to to prove himself as much over the summer and if you're if you're not able to see i mean like high school right now pitchers already have a lot of risk mm-hmm. and if you're not able to see them pitch at all during the year when you're drafting them and going to give them multiple millions of dollars that is that is very risky compared to mm-hmm. the college players where you have a lot more track
1: record with them the other thing that's kind of interesting just to think through in talking about comparing them is like even outside of the reports we've gotten on Quinn Priester since he's been in pro ball, like how would Quinn Priester be talked about in this draft class if you could take him out of that 2019 class? Because I think in a lot of ways, the 2019 class and the 2021 class are are almost polar opposites. The 2019 class was panned as being very, very bad in terms of depth, but the top of the class was really, really impressive. I mean, This class does not have a top six of Adley Rutschman, Bobby Wood Jr., Andrew Vaughn, J.J. Bladet, Riley Green, C.J. Abrams. Like even beyond that, like college hitters like Josh Young, uh, Shea Langoliers, Hunter Bishop, Will Wilson, Bryson Stott. Like if you take a high school right-hander out of a class that's really loaded with college hitters that teams want to be drafting at the top, if they're there and put him in a class like the 2021 that has significantly fewer college bats like that, or just impact bats at the top. I wonder how we would have been talking about him at the time. I I think it's definitely safe to say that like the steps that Job has taken this spring were probably more impressive than Priester, but, but I think their talent is similar. And I think they're probably just in different spots because of their draft class, or at least Job has a chance to go a lot higher because, Th- that demographic that teams want to take at the top just isn't there this year in the same way there was in 2019.
2: So as in where would Quinn Priester right now go in this draft?
1: No, I would say like, if you could like kind of put yourself in the, in like how you were, how you were viewing him prior to the draft in 29 prior to his draft year, like not, not having known like how impressive he was going to be in pro ball, I guess.
2: Right. So you're taking 2019 Quinn Priester, that version of him before the draft and putting him into this draft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just Got kind it. of trying to see where he would kind of slot with these guys.
1: I yeah, I mean it was a that, range, it was but... an
2: interesting year. I mean that that would be interesting to like where would he go in this year's to, like stack him up against lighter and rocker. I mean he might be teammates <laughs> with one of those guys potentially. But that year was like because that year we had on our on our draft list we had Quinn Priester twenty three two spots ahead of him at 21 we had jack lighter so he was obviously very highly regarded coming out of yeah. high school too we had brennan malone at 18 and then two spots ahead of him we had matthew allen mm-hmm. who you know went later in the draft but got paid a lot of like got paid like a first round Absolutely. pick. and another guy where you know we, we had allen like i said at, at 16 so the top high school right-handed pitcher that year and the early returns on him were were outstanding last year from the alternate site and instructional league inside and outside the organization but he had tommy john surgery so you know not a career ender by any means but certainly adds more risk and, and delays his timetable too so that's just another inherent part of the risk when you're, when you're taking these guys. I think this, we didn't,
1: I didn't plan this. So I'm just kind of throwing it at you now, but I, I kind of feel like we can bring back our, our old game, uh, sign one, trade one, cut one with some of these pitchers here.
2: I think a cut. lot of them have been cut on already.
1: <laughs> well, let's take some of the ones that actually haven't. I think yeah. the, let's just go with the, the top high school right-handers in each of the past three draft years assuming Job is going to be the top guy this year uh, and throw those out and, and let's see how you would line them up and how you would take them. So that would be Quinn Priester, uh, Mick Abel and Jackson Job. Sign one, trade one, cut one. I'll let Ooh. you go first.
2: Oh, you th- oh, you'll let me go first?
1: Thanks. I'll let you- oh, I can go first if you want. <laughs> if you want some time to think about it. Um... And it, it is tough too, because all three are at different like stages in their development and we know we can feel more comfortable about the guys who've done a little bit more obviously but in in some ways the COVID year helps us here because none of them are like wildly ahead of of one another just because they haven't had too much time
2: I, I I would still take I would take Quinn Priester at this point man it feels hard to feels hard to cut either of those other guys yeah they're they're all so close to me that like i don't think it's a ton of
1: separation and i think that's the, the whole point of this game all, all the trios that we've used so far are really close
2: so I, I think i would what is it you said start is that the option i forget how to oh, come KX4. on! <laughs> figure out the game uh, <laughs> sign one trade one cut one sign one all right so i, I would sign quinn priester okay I think I would trade so I don't I guess I don't I don't get either of them if I trade or cut one of them well it, it's just it's just a
1: preference yeah so line I'll, them up I'll, one two three we're gonna we're gonna make the name dumber so so you can feel better about not having to uh get rid of two of them
2: I'll uh, I'll, I'll trade Mick Abel maybe I can get more okay. trade value for him than than job and I guess <laughs> I gotta cut I guess I gotta cut Jackson job wow what a hater what an absolute hater
1: and um that's, that's me. Yeah, I think I'm also going to sign Quinn Priester. We've just just this, the feedback we've heard on him is is so exciting, and I really liked him coming out of uh, high school. I mean, I liked all these guys coming out. <laughs> they're, they're top high school pitchers, and each their class, we liked all of them. But I'll sign Quinn Priester. I will trade Jackson Job just because I love the feel for spin, I love the athleticism, and I mean when when people are putting. 60 on a changeup for a high school guy before the draft that's that is not something that I've heard a ton it seems like every year there's like a changeup artist in the draft class like Ben Hernandez was that guy his draft year so there definitely have been high school players who have really good changeups but like adding that change up to everything else Job does to give him three pluses or better and and just the sliders get kind of a game changer for me. And then I would, um, sadly cut McAble, although I would, I would like to have all of them, but that would be my order.
2: Yeah. It seems like Job just has that natural ability just to manipulate the baseball, whatever Mm -hmm. pitch it is that he's throwing.
1: Yeah. And who knows, maybe it will come out and start throwing a wipeout breaking ball this year as well. And I'll look like a fool, but that's our order. Uh, Hopefully you guys have been doing this kind of as you've listened along. If you want to send us what your order would be to on Twitter, that would be cool. Um, we're at Future Pro Pod, or Ben Badler on Twitter, or Carlos A. Clazzo if you want to send that to us and kind of play along, although you can't do it in in real time. Sorry, this is a, the show for us, and you guys just have to listen. But um, oh, that could be cool to just get your your input as we do these games moving forward.
2: There are there are a couple draft picks from last year off to really good starts though um nick gonzalez mm-hmm. with the pirates and and robert hassel with the padres those are two guys I, I i thought they were just two of the best just better pure hitters not i'm alone in that, <laughs> in that uh in that sentiment but just just two of the better pure hitters from that draft obviously gonzalez come out of college and and Hassel from high school. I, I, I've been really impressed what they've done early on in the minor league season. It, it just seems like both of those guys have come as advertised. Hassel seems just like a really good feel for, for the strike zone and, and a knack for barreling the ball. You know, I don't know whether it's center field or corner outfield long-term, but I'm just, I'm comfortable with that bad at, at either, spot he just it just seems like a really natural pure hitter
1: yeah so it is really exciting this is the first time in this podcast that i've been able to pull up in season minor league stats for players and it's the first time in in well over a year that i've been able to do that regardless of this podcast but just yeah getting the
2: uh getting the stats that just like we're sourcing from like alternate (laughs) sites it's like where you have uh assistant coaches like playing outfield
1: positions and jumping on yeah Yeah. or
2: like who even knows if they're putting Uh you know eight guys out there behind (laughs) the the pitcher sometimes so all right like we'll get something out of the strikeouts and walks and home runs
0: but
2: (laughs) yeah when you're (laughs) yeah when you're you know when your team trainer is out in left field and kind of puts a little cast a little doubt into those numbers (laughs) so just
1: just for reference nick gonzalez um in high a greensboro right now he's hitting 292 346 563 through his first 12 games he's striking out 15 times a three walks so that might be something to monitor moving forward but then robert Hassel um has been even better at low A and like elsinore this low way right
2: yeah, he's a I'm
1: gonna have to get league. used to uh, I know
2: even when you said high a Greensboro, my yeah. instinct was like, No, you you screwed no wait that's <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, you you definitely have more I'm sure you had them all memorized, and I didn't really ever have to to know them to the extent that you did, but it is very weird getting used to like which level like which team is at which level.
2: I'm um, still calling it like Florida State <laughs> League and or South Atlantic <laughs> League, like that's not gonna yeah. change for uh, a while in my brain. <laughs> but in low A
1: West. Uh, Robert Hassel is hitting 275, 431, 529 with 14 walks to 17 strikeouts. So like you are saying, really good zone control. He has five stolen bases as well and hasn't been caught yet. A couple of home runs. Uh, both these guys have two homers through their first 12 and 13 games. So I'll be really curious to see what kind of Nick Gonzalez's power output is because obviously that was one of the biggest questions with him coming out of college. at His very hitter-friendly um, – college park and I know there were just a lot of teams who were skeptical is that going to translate to wood bad is that going to translate to pro ball is that going to translate to neutral like hitting environments um but yeah he, he was definitely one of the top three pure hitters in the class and I think I've already been convinced that like whoever the best pure hitter in the high school class is regardless of like what position or the profile that that profile just needs to be shoved up because the success rate seems to be so good um, and teams, with teams getting better and better at identifying hit tools in the high school class, like, it really just seems like you can have a lot of confidence in whoever the industry crowns as like the best peer hitter in the class, just have confidence in that guy. And that's why they go off the board really quickly. And I think we're going to be pushing them higher in, in the draft rankings than we have in recent years. And Hassel was definitely that guy in his draft class. And we haven't even talked about Jared Kellenick getting called up, but he was the the, probably the best peer hitter in his draft class as well. Um, So kind of cool to see him getting promoted to the majors.
2: Who would be the guy this year? Would it be Marcelo Meyer or or would somebody else be, I think, um, or who would be like even in the mix for.
1: Yeah. I think Meyer and Lawler would probably be the two, which is, which is why I like those two so much because you pair like the best pure hitter in the class with the two players who are also thought to be the best defensive shortstops and when you can get the best pure hitter at the game's most premium position unless you want to argue for catcher i mean that that seems like a a fantastic combination so it's probably those two i don't think they're i don't think this year we will have like a clear cut number one i mean maybe Marcelo will turn into that guy but Lawler, Lawler earned the number one best pure hitter on our preseason poll that we sent out to scouting departments. Um, and Meyer was two. And then Meyer was best defensive infielder and Lawler was two. Um, so I think you had to feel pretty good about both of those guys. Um, outside of them, I mean, I think it's all the guys that we're talking about at the top of the class. Uh, Khalil Watson probably could have an argument for that. And then after, after him, I think, you would probably be going down a tier. I mean, Brady House has been really good this spring and and entered the draft cycle with a really good track record as an underclassman. But I think those are probably the names that you'd point to. Maybe Peyton Stovall if you're really high on him. Um, But that would be probably the group that I pointed to.
2: Yeah. You you know, like, I mean, another another CJ Abrams, another shortstop, with really high Mm -hmm. bat to ball skills, six overall pick two Mm -hmm. years ago. And I think that it would be
1: fair to say that CJ Abrams had the best pure bat to ball skills in that class. Like I think Riley green was kind of the guy who everyone thought was the best pure hitter. When you just combine like hit tool approach discipline, swing and miss, like there were criticisms of CJ Abrams approach at times. He would expand the zone a lot. Um, but, yeah, if you were just going to look at, like, best bat-to-ball skills, I mean, Meyer would still be there. I think Watson would be up there. Um, trying to see who other guys. I think those would probably be the two. There, there are probably some guys further down the board who I'm not thinking of that do have really good bat-to-ball skills. But I think it's all the same group, uh, kind of at the top. How, how yeah. do you... When you think of a guy who has like elite bat to ball skills, but maybe has issues in terms of approach or pitch recognition or like mechanical issues that might prevent them from like getting to power, like how do you, how do you factor those out or how how do you kind of evaluate that? Like, is the bat to ball skill, the, the like Trump card that you're looking for when you're looking for a good hitter or there are all the other factors equivalent or, or maybe more important to you?
2: Yeah, it it depends. It depends on like what level you're evaluating the hitter at. Like if if we're at if we're at double A AA or triple A, and a guy is showing he has really elite bat-to-ball skills, but there's something in his swing that's maybe a little unconventional, but it seems to work for him. I don't have as many concerns there because. You know, not everybody has to swing the same way, or the same, or, or the way that you think is is the ideal way for a hitter to swing. We've seen lots of different types of swings that can work for different hitters based on the way their their body moves and and their skill set and their strengths and weaknesses. I think just having having just having really good hand eye coordination to be able to consistently puts the bat to the ball is really important but if we're talking about a high school hitter and we're watching him you know especially in the spring he's not facing great competition and yeah he's not striking out a lot but you see stuff in the swing mechanically that's a problem or he's chasing out of the zone I mean some sometimes guys I think Sal Freelich even does this to to an extent like he'll sometimes like expand the zone, or just like put the bat on the ball on a pitch that he probably should just let go, and then he's a you know a seventy runner, and he just puts the ball on turf and legs out an infield hit sometimes. But it's I actually like a good example like Gabriel Moreno, who's a catcher with the Blue Jays. They signed out of Venezuela back in I think twenty sixteen. Not a big signing by any means. His first year in the Dominican Summer League, every, every number in his slash line started with a two. But he also struck out only five times in like 125 at-bats. He, he ha- he's really athletic, and he has outstanding hand-eye coordination. Doesn't walk much. Didn't walk much the next year either in the Gulf Coast League. But really did a just, just has outstanding hand-eye coordination, just a natural ability to put the bat to the baseball. And he, also he, he's so already gonna, walked,
1: he's already walked as many times this year as he did in uh, the Gulf Coast League in just yeah. 10 games.
2: <laughs> I mean so. there's yeah. So there, there's a reason we just put this guy into our top 100 is because he has he's made adjustments where he I, oh yeah. it, I mean, it seems like it's a little bit more of a patient approach. Maybe it's just early on in the season. I think he's always going to be more on the aggressive side, but it's still really good bats to ball skills. And I, I, I think he just has a more dynamic swing now, like kind of a Blue Jays swing, almost. Like if you think about like Jose Bautista and Josh Donaldson, and Bo Bichette and some of these guys that the Blue Jays have signed and and have had a lot of success with these big rhythmic flowing type of swings. Would you put Jordan Groshans in there as well? Uh, He could be yeah like Austin Martin would not be in that group. Yeah I wouldn't think of him
1: I just know Groshans when he was coming out of high school had that big leg kick um, I don't know if you included that with it, but no. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, he could you.
2: he could fall under that group. Like M- Moreno was not like that early on, and now he's added some of those bigger movements into into his swing, and you're seeing him drive the ball with more impact, more power. We started to see that in 2019. He came to the alternate site last year. He got there late. He wasn't there early on and he probably was their best hitter there, but it was such a one. We we've already talked about the difficulties in evaluating just the numbers or or even just evaluating what you're seeing as, as an evaluator at these alternate sites. He wasn't there very long. He did go to Venezuela, play winter ball there. He was really good. So he was just kind of like this fringe top 100 guy coming into the year, he, he was definitely in that conversation. And the, the reports just keep getting better on him. In fact, after, we, after I ranked the Blue Jays top 30, so they now have eight top 100 prospects. Jeez, <laughs> eight prospects in our top I 100. I don't think
1: I realized that. That's insane.
2: Yeah, yeah, they uh, they are pretty stacked. I mean, Nate Pearson probably should be graduating at this point, but um, so he's still... <laughs> He's still in there, but yeah, there man, it's 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 a pretty loaded farm system with yeah, Pearson, Groshans, Martin, Simeon Woods, Richardson, um, who am I forgetting? Somebody I know like Alec Manoa, obviously, but like oh oh Alejandro Kirk. That's good embarrassing. embarrassing for me that I can <laughs> I'm forgetting my, my man Kirk, but yeah, no, yeah, another guy who just has outstanding uh, I don't think his swing is unconventional necessarily but he definitely looks a lot different but he he has really elite hand-eye coordination, very very short arms. It's it's a very compact swing. I think and I, he he does have a more patient approach. I think he has a he's like we talked about before he's a, he's a smaller hitter, he's a small strike zone or a shorter hitter, I guess I should say. He has a a, sh- a shorter strike zone. Seems then. like a little bit of a burn
1: there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: So, um, but yeah, coming into the year, we ranked Manoa ahead of Moreno, and then uh, and Hines. Like coming into the year, I was like, ah, maybe I should have probably should have put Moreno ahead of him, and then Alec Manoa came out in spring training and early on the season and has looked electric, <laughs> like some of the best you know you don't want to go overboard on spring training reports by any means but it's it's it sounds really good what he's been doing early on and then obviously early on this season too. 12 yeah, two, scoreless two, innings <laughs> now yeah. go ahead i was about to run it down but you got it yeah 17 strikeouts two walks i think three hits in his first two starts and triple a so i was like oh great i look real smart now for uh (laughs) uh putting manoa ahead of moreno even though i was like "Eh, yeah i probably should put moreno ahead but then moreno's been outstanding too so yeah he's
1: hitting 415 489 634 um as a 21 year old in the uh new hampshire with new hampshire at double a and he's like three years younger than the average hitter there so pretty good start for him."
2: A- yeah, so he's been. I mean, he, yeah. So that's like an example of somebody where the that he's a guy with outstanding hand eye coordination and a good athlete who, at least early on, didn't have much power and had a swing and an approach that was not really conducive to him getting to that power and also that hand eye coordination for some guys like him can be. A good thing and a bad thing because he'll he would expand the strike zone and just make weak contact and put the ball in play on that pitch that was maybe, you know, three or four inches outside the strike zone or or even just on the black of the plate on a two L pitch when eh, let that one should probably be hunting it yeah better one. yeah let, let that one go by I so. like
1: I like that you brought up Sal Frelick when you're talking about these players because I do think he is. Kind of the best example in this year's draft class of a guy who has pretty terrific bat to ball skills, but will expand the zone. And, and sometimes he'll get good results because of those bat to ball skills. I think the guy who has great bat to ball skills and pretty good zone control uh, and play discipline is Henry Davis. Like he rarely swings and misses and also doesn't chase too much. So I feel like he's got kind of that perfect combination of just those two traits. Um, but you had mentioned CJ Abrams briefly, another guy who has really good bats of ball skills. And I mean, he's never not performed in pro ball so far this year through 13 games, he's hitting 302, 373, 509. It still seems crazy that it's only 47 total games that he's played, but I mean, is that yeah. really
2: right? Yeah. That makes
1: sense, I guess, but Isn't that insane. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still, it's still a relatively small sample, but I mean, you have to be really encouraged if you're a Padres fan or just with the Padres or just someone who is excited about prospects to see what, what he's been doing. He's always been pretty good.
2: Yeah. I love CJ Abrams, 20 years old in double a, like you said, what, 30, 30 something games coming, <laughs> coming into 47. the year. And they, oh, coming into the year. Yeah. yeah, Coming into the year. And all right, go out to double a. I mean, that was like, I'm glad teams, you know, teams like that were aggressive sending those prospects to, to the alternate site, I think some of the teams that didn't didn't do that and just focus more on major league ready guys did their did their prospects and their organization a a disservice. It's kind of a cool opportunity, making the best of, of a bad situation, and having the opportunity for somebody like CJ Abrams to be going up against major league ready arms at the alternate site, I'm sure helped him. And now he's 20 years old already in double a Padres are aggressive. I'm sure he will be a triple a at some point by, by the end of the year. I mean, shoot, man, I wouldn't even rule out him. I wouldn't rule out him being on the major league club by, seems by crazy. the end of the year. I don't, I don't. Where,
1: think he, has he, has he still just been playing shortstop? Cause at some point they're going to have to start getting him reps at another position. If his track is going to be this fast. This year he has played shortstop and he's played two games at second, so he's at least getting both middle infield spots. And I think in 2019 he was exclusively playing shortstop, so it looks like they're already getting him um, some reps at other at other places.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he could play there. He could play center field. I think he can play shortstop too. But obviously, that's a little bit, of a, a, bit of a, a bit of a decent player on the <laughs> on the pecking order. Yeah. There, but yeah, it's been it's been really encouraging to see the early returns on him to, to the point where I think he's the, I think he's the Padres' best prospect right now. I mean, we have him and Mackenzie Gore mm-hmm. both in our top ten overall prospects right now. And I I still like Mackenzie Gore. I I think he's a really good prospect. Two, I th- you know certainly some concern. I mean, it definitely they, seems
1: like they are trending in opposite directions, right? Like, not to say that, like, oh, McKenzie Gore is, is not a great prospect anymore. But if you're just looking at, like, where they're trending, I mean, Abrams has been playing well. McKenzie Gore has struggled in three starts in uh, AAA with El Paso. He's got a 7.24 ERA in those three starts in 13 innings, 13.2 innings, 12 strikeouts, five walks. Um, and he's given up 19 hits, so we'll see what happens with that one. But I, I yeah, I don't think it's crazy for you to think like Ad- Abrams is is the top guy in that in that system now at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, just give me the shortstop, and I'm yeah. the guy
1: who loves Mackenzie Gore. So
2: yeah, shortstop, 20 years old, Double A keeps performing, elite runner. Elite, yeah, elite athlete, elite runner, high bat to ball. It's I mean got some sneaky power in there I think he's got that long rangy frame I I think he has a chance to grow into some more power I I don't know that he he will but we do see again like I mentioned with Moreno a different body and and different type of hitter but these guys grow into more power and, and they just get a better these pure hitters who who have good hand-eye coordination if you're just consistently putting the barrel to the ball as a hitter, as you get a better understanding of your swing, of how pitchers are, are trying to attack you, of what pitches you should really be aggressive at and, and try to swing for some extra base damage against. And, and as your swing evolves too, you you see those guys have a power spike in their, you know, mid to late twenties or, or sometimes even earlier than that, um, than that now. So, and, and just as they get stronger too, with just natural physical maturity. That's another thing that helps them all I'll, I'll pretty consistently take the pure hitter with some power question marks over the, the big, big power guy who's got some, bigger swing and miss tendency so yeah just the, the whole profile with yep. abrams with premium athlete premium position high level hitter and the performance so far at a at a young age already at double a to me I, I i'd take him over over anybody in their system
1: yep another um young hitter with bats of ball skills not a ton of power at double a who's also on the top 100, who has been performing early this year, is Alec Thomas, uh, the Diamondbacks outfielder. He has hit 349, 442, 605 through 11 games with Double A Amarillo. Um, pretty good walk and strikeout numbers, eight walks, 11 Ks, just one homer. Uh, don't think he's going to be a huge power guy, kind of similar how you're talking about with CJ Abrams. But back when he was a draft guy, he was also one of the I'd have to go back and look to see how many guys you would maybe say had better pure bats of ball skills, but he would have been right up there at the top of the list with the high school hitters in that class. I remember scouts just really being press impressed with how his hands worked, uh, how he squared up velocity pretty consistently. He's off to a good start. Do you have any thoughts on, on Thomas generally, or just how he's performed as a 21 year old, more than three years younger than the average hitter in double.
2: Yeah. I mean, another guy who, and he's been in pro ball since, 2018 it's a little bit more of a track record on him than with with abrams but he's another guy who's always hit everywhere i mean when he got promoted to the cali at 19 years old in 2019 you know that was probably the exception but he, he was there like a month so um not not a huge deal but otherwise i mean rookie ball midwest league phil i mean he's he's in the top 100 i don't want to say he's like underrated but he just like probably one of the most under talked about really good prospects in the game, maybe just by virtue of being in the Diamondbacks system. They're just less less media, less less attention on those players. He was a second-round pick. It's not like he was <laughs> some some late-round guy, but he wasn't a no. first-rounder, so maybe that also takes some shine. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just like a really good player a really good hitter and a, a really well-rounded player too like, like he's not you know they have like Christian Robinson's size or Christian Robinson's uh like like power or anything like that he's not that kind of athlete not that kind of physicality although he's I mean he is a good runner and a good defender in in center field I mean potentially plus not a big arm by any means, but yeah, potentially plus hitter and plus glove and a, and a plus runner too in the middle of the diamonds. that I, I love that profile.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's exciting to see him perform. And it's also disappointing to see a player who was out of the same draft class and has a lot of similar traits and kind of continues to fill up your bucket of like shorter hitters who are very hitterish and play up the middle positions mm-hmm. is Corbin Carroll. And like I wanted to just mention him because it sucked to hear about the injury. Uh, it's a shoulder injury, right? And he's out for the year. Yeah. But he was yeah. scorching hot through his first seven games. He wasn't in double A, he was in high A, but he's hitting 435, 552, 913 with a pair of homers, six walks, seven strikeouts. No one should be surprised. Uh, to see his walks and strikeouts around the same level. I, I've always loved his his just zone control and recognition at the plate. I, I still think he is probably the most advanced high school hitter that I've seen in terms of just laying off pitches that are outside of the zone and hitting pitches that, that he wants to hit, just controlling. I don't think I ever saw an at-bat from him where he looked uncomfortable. Um, and I was really excited with kind of how he just – came out this year and was raking I mean his ops was 1400 it's again seven games so it's a small sample but it's really a bummer to see him and I think Pete crow Armstrong was the other big injury guy yeah. um, recently so if this happens anytime baseball seasons get going on the college level or high school or major leagues like everyone's really really excited and they should be but then shortly after that some injuries start popping up and guys start getting banged for the year and it's really like it's really bittersweet, and I I hope the recovery goes well for both of these guys. But um I think you're onto something, basically, Ben. When when you say you really like shorter guys with hitterish qualities, because a lot of these guys seem to be doing really well.
2: Well, the other guy is Vidal brujan with the Rays, who's I mean, he, talk about small. So he was I think he signed for like fifteen thousand dollars. I think was his bonus, which you get a lot of pitchers. All the time out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, who sign for small bonuses and then bam, like their stuff takes off and they're, you know, Sixto Sanchez, right? Or, or, you know, other, other, other guys, you know, plenty of other arms. Uh, Ronce Contreras also to a great start. He did sign for actually pretty, pretty decent, but not like millions of dollars, but he got a good bonus. But there's all, all kinds of arms you can find in the Dominican Republic who are signing for 10 K 20 K 70 K and turn out to be really good players. It's, it's much less common with position players, but man, Vidal Brujan is, is really good. And I loved him coming into the year when he was this, you know, small elite, super twitchy plus plus runner with with very strong contact skills, uh, seems like he had a sense for the strike zone. Usually, just about as many walks as strikes strikeouts, but not much power. So, 2019, 99 games, four home runs. 2021, he's in AAA now at 23. He already has five home runs, more home runs than all of 2019 through 13 games. I always thought I, I always loved Bruham, but I thought he'd be pretty consistent single digit home run hitter, maybe and like his,
1: eight. I mean, his previous high even going like further back, I think you said you brought up the the four homer sample in 2019, but in 2018 when he actually had 122, he's still just hit nine, and he's more than halfway to that total in like you said 13 games already.
2: Yeah, I mean, it could be you know, it could be a hot stretch, you know, an aberrational thing early on in the season. You know, always the baseball is is such a, a factor and a question mark itself. But yeah, I mean, that's that's why I like these high contact guys. You know, if, especially if they know the strike zone. I, I think Bruhan does have a good handle of the strike zone were you a day. massive
1: nick madrigal fan not to jump in here because he
2: he yeah, has a lot of these yeah i like too. yeah i've always been really high on madrigal but he's man he he is different because his a little swing, too late on the pot for you huh it's I, I still like him a lot and i think his skill like it's crazy how much contact he makes and but also his he he has very very little power and that swing the way he swings too is just not conducive to hitting for for any kind of power but if you're striking out like 3% of the time there's just there's so many balls that are being put into play that you're you're there's like a f- floor for for what you're your, it just, your batting average, your on-base percentage is going to be, and he can play in the middle of diamond and play mm-hmm. a pretty good defensive second base too. So even though he doesn't have a lot of power, to me, that's the, the sum of, of who he, the sum of all of those things between the on-base on, on base percentage, even with a very limited slug, mm-hmm. combined with the above-average defense at second base in the middle of diamond, I think it's still a, a really good player. Do you feel like you have enough feel for like, swinging
1: strike percentages to take a take a guess at what Nick Madrigal's is so far this season I'm sure it's single digits I bet it's like
2: three four percent
1: not a bad guess at all he right now is leading the league in terms of lowest swinging strike percentage at 2.4 percent wow uh the guys around him just for some context David Fletcher the second at 3.8 percent Jake Cronenworth and Luis Arias are both at 4% with Cronenworth has 4% and Arias has 4.4. 4. So. Wow. Especially pretty, with
2: these guys throwing like 90 mile an hour sliders. Yeah. I in, feel in like this like era, Madrigal, that seems
1: insane. Like imagine Madrigal, if you could just take him, and put him into like 80s baseball or, or some previous era, he would literally never swing and miss.
2: Yeah. He, sh- he should be like the hero of cranky baseball Twitter that complains Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Launch, don't, don't angle, hit the ball hard, or whatever yeah. place the
1: ball around the diamond don't strike out and he is hitting 26 276 319 373 it's good for like close to league average wrc plus um he's walking about five percent of the time and striking out a little over five percent of the time so just a little yeah, I mean, magic all there but you can, you can get back to your guy who has a, a better ops than wander franco right now by 11 points so maybe he should be the number one prospect in baseball
2: yeah, I don't know if we're going to make make that change. But that that actually <laughs> is what makes Franco so ridiculous is well, one of many things is Franco also is just such an elite contact guy. And I mean, and ever man, I was gonna say ever since he was well since he signed, but even before then just seeing him play when he was like 15 years old like I was like this is like watching just like an 18-year-old kid in like the I don't even know. I don't even know how to explain. He just seemed like his brain was so much as just his hitter's brain was so much better (laughs) than everybody else. Like his baseball IQ and just his hitting knowledge, hitting feel, like the ability to hit to all fields and put the bat to the ball consistently was just so far above all of his peers it was ridiculous and still is
1: <laughs> and what's crazy too is you're talking about how how impressive vidal brujan has been but wonder franco is basically I- exactly in line with the production that that brujan has put up so far but he's three years younger in his first in in triple a and never he never played at the double a level at all right
2: yeah so i mean as as impressive as cj abrams is as we just talked about for being mm-hmm. 20 in double a like franco is like even better than him at the same age in triple a way better track i mean not way better well yeah just just way more volume i would should say yeah of, of track record hitting up through you know the florida state league or the former florida state league as an 18 year old a couple of years ago it's it's crazy how it's crazy how good of a hitter he is and then he also has power like he has Big power. He has a lot of bat speed. He's strong. Like I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be kind of like Jose Ramirez with the Indians as a hitter. Like when Ramirez came up with the Indians, he was not a highly regarded prospect by any means. But another yeah, five. I mean, it feels kind of like a lazy-ish comparison because another like not just a 59 you know switch hitter from the Dominican Republic like they're both from Bani and like they're boys like they're really tight <laughs> growing up that for for Franco they're they're really really close but man like i i think he could be a similar type hitter to him and when Jose Ramirez was coming up he was a really high contact hitter always had about as many walks as strikeouts he was pushed really aggressively He got to the big leagues when he was like 20 or 21 years old, but he never hit he for was any 21. power. Yeah. His, he never hit, never hit for any power. His high he,
1: was, I think five home runs in any like single minor league season. And that was 2014 in triple A, I believe. I'm just kind of scanning yeah. through his, his staff. And right then he gets, sure you know,
2: one, by the time he gets to his mid twenties, he's 24, 25. He just starts growing into more power, hitting more, more game power turning to this MVP. Candidate, it and I, the thing is I think Franco already has that raw power and, and sometimes the way he swings again it's like it it's such a he has like this mentality because he is such a talented hitter just as far as being able to make contact put the ball in play spread the ball around the field that sometimes he doesn't try to hit for power which is not a bad thing I, again I'd rather have that Guy with a, a hit first approach, a hit first mentality, and then later on in his career learn how to hit for you know more power. But Franco has the raw power. He has a lot of bat speed too or already. I don't have any questions about his ability to drive the ball with impact. It's just sometimes the approach and the swing that he takes in games is more contact-oriented rather than trying to drive the ball. But you can see, I think he showed it in spring training, in maybe a couple times. He hits some absolute blasts there. He's shown it some early on this year in Triple A. It's not like we're long overdue for a 20-year-old, you know, potential superstar coming from international free agency to hit the the big leagues after
1: really lacking on that demographic. uh, Yeah. Soto,
2: Acuna, which, Oh, by the way,
1: by the way, I think we, we are kind of leading the charge for throwing Vladdy's name into the, uh, Tatis, Soto, Acuna conversation. Guess who is, um, second in baseball in F war behind, um, the annual leader, Mike Trout, right now. Is it not? It's not Nick Madrigal. It's not Nick. It's it's not Nick Madrigal. No, I don't. I don't know exactly where he falls, but it is not second. Um, it is, is none he other than Mercedes. No, Yerman, Let's see if he shows up on the first page. I mean, I
2: think the answer is Vlad Jr. Oh, it's Vlad Jr. <laughs> I that was the it's answer. It's Vlad
1: Jr. I'm really excited about my breakout pick, Ben. He's got a per fan graph, He has 2.4. War, which is right behind Mike Trout, who is the leader, and again, talking about injuries, always disappointing. It, it seems like Mike Trout is kind of constantly dealing with something at this point and is really a bummer. His teammates, <laughs>
2: did you see that tweet that <laughs> like 20,000 likes or retweets or something about Otani? No, what was it? I mean, there have been a lot of Otani tweets I have seen, so maybe, but yeah, well, he's just he's 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 ridiculous man we're we're not talking I, about
1: otani being ridiculous we're talking about Vladdy. you're trying to steal his shine well what dude, what what was o- the otani O-Tani,
2: otani is so absurd like <laughs> he is you know <laughs> otani is dude. absurd
1: because my friends who are not like like most of my friends are pretty into sports in general but they are not like baseball junkies like we are and i've had multiple friends text me just out of the blue and just ask like is Otani this good? Like, like, is Otani better than Babe Ruth? <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, he's way more talented, <laughs> but no. So, what, what so was this, tweet?
2: T- this tweet from Matt Tomic. three T's in Matt Tomic. Ooh, I wouldn't have expected that. He says, every time I see an angels highlight, it's like Mike Trout hit three home runs and raised his average to 528. while Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since quote, Tungsten arm, O'Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsmen, as the Tigers defeated the Angels eight to three.
1: Oh my god! Twenty nine thousand likes. It should have doubled that. Oh that's man! Hysterical. That's that's hysterical and also really depressing.
0: And now yeah. Pujols
1: is out of town. Man. Well, I guess he's not actually out of town. Um, True. But he's not. He's not there. He's not with with Trout and Otani. Yeah. But yeah, that that is. I saw – I think Joe Sheehan had a tweet the other day kind of about this, just people talking about – I think people were just kind of generally talking about how – I don't know if it was – they were phrasing it as like it was annoying that in baseball – basically they were just kind of bummed that because of the way baseball works, we don't get to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs, or at least you you can't have any confidence that they're going to be there. And Trout obviously has already had a lot of years where he's missed out. Um, And Sheehan – basically said he loved that about baseball, how it wasn't like a stars league where you could just get a couple of the best players and, and carry your way to the playoffs like you can in, in the NBA and maybe uh, in the NFL, if you have like one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but where do you kind of stand on that? Do you like the fact that it is very much a team game and you cannot get carried by a few stars or do you think it would be better to just have all the best stars in the playoffs every year? Cause I, I think I lean towards, Sheehan's take
2: yeah I I do like that it's a team game that's not like oh we have LeBron and then oh we're also getting probably dating myself like Dwayne Wade and you know I mean you're good with LeBron
1: LeBron was was the most I mean it's the most accurate one
2: yeah or yeah or Brady is going to go to Tampa Mm -hmm. and now okay now 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 they're a Super Bowl winner or they're going to the Super like that's I like that you have to build out a team. I yep. don't like that the angels have been so woefully incapable of building a team around <laughs> around these guys. I mean, imagine if Otani, like he could have gone anywhere he he basically had his pick of whoever he wanted to go to. He could have picked the Yankees because he was under the bonus pools when when that was the year they switched. why didn't he pick the Dodgers? He could have picked anybody, man. And he just can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine him <laughs> like oh my god? Yeah, or, or imagine him in New York? I mean, or just, <laughs> just a good
0: team, <laughs> yeah. man.
1: Oh man, but, where are the angels sitting in the sandings these days?
2: Uh, I'm
0: pulling yeah,
1: it up right now. We're
2: not, we're not I, don't think they're, I don't think they're going to the playoffs.
1: They are uh 18 and 23, currently in fourth in the AL West, which, I mean, I feel like that's been an every year occurrence for the
2: last, I don't know. How long has been in the league? Like 10 years, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) Not even. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, it's, it's, it is good to see Julio Rodriguez off to a good start. Yes. You were talking about
1: power guys
2: and I was going to try and
1: pivot to him because I love Julio, but yeah, Yeah. he's hitting. I had his page up. He's hitting 327, 413, 727, five homers um, in high A. He is not in double A AA or AAA
2: like some of these other guys
1: we've been talking about.
2: I am um, surprised he's only in high A because he got to high A in 2019. He played. Well, he doesn't
1: speak English very well, Ben. So that's probably why.
2: Yeah. Well, that guy's, I got rid of that guy. <laughs>
1: so, he got a uh, episode one reference if you. If you think I'm being serious, just go listen to that episode.
2: No, I think everybody knows the well, so. <laughs> former president is not not the brightest, but he, yeah, he he went, he got, he was hurt last year, but then he did go to, to winter ball. He played in the Dominican Republic. I, I don't quite understand why he's still in High A. He is going to play for the Dominican Republic in the qualifier for. um for, for the Olympics to get the DR there, which is that, that whole surprising
1: team... to happen because I feel like most teams are like uh, you're not you're not taking our our prospects. no.
2: yeah, it is it is bizarre. It is a little strange because that whole team is oh, that's where that guy is right now kind of guy or oh, I remember reading about that guy who when he was the number 26 prospect <laughs> in an organization, seven or eight years ago and then oh also julio rodriguez one of the top five prospects in baseball And yeah. our prospect handbook cover boy is also on the team so i think yeah it's cool that he wants to do it and represent his country i think he gets everything he about pride in that seems just cool he, he just seems like a cool guy in general yeah yeah he has super swag and charisma in spanish and english it just like oozes out of his his body (laughs) and everything that he does the way he communicates with fans just like this yeah awesome. like happy-go-lucky wants kid or not kid anymore he's 20 years old now (laughs) i remember when when he was i still feel like a kid at 20 yeah i'm I'm also
1: not built like julio so
2: maybe that's maybe that's a little different (laughs) yeah he's (laughs) six three and probably 220 something (laughs) well i'm only
1: well i'm I'm close to him just in, in terms of the metrics then but
2: yeah, maybe not not maybe not the uh the exit velocity though. No, no can, no shot on the
1: exit velocity. My uh my career home run total is one. So
2: <laughs> Yeah, an arm and I, I
1: have his, his,
2: his speed's a little sneaky, underrated. For such a big guy, mm-hmm. he can Well he can run.
1: Since we've been talking about so many like shorter guys and short armed guys, are you concerned that, that he is not that type and he has been a guy who's struck out at a decent bit, or do you think that you're fine with those strikeouts given the power that that he's showing that he can produce in games.
2: No, I I think he's in like the sweet spot for, for a power hitter, six, three, the bat comes through the zone really well, just as far as the swing path itself. It's, it's not like a crazy strikeout rate and and he's been pushed super aggressively. He was 18 years old. Well, not his first year, his first year obviously in the DSL, but you know, he got to he was in the South Atlantic League in Low A as an eighteen year old, got even pushed, like we were talking about earlier, to the Cal League later that year. So basically a high school senior who got to the Cal League. It's just as far as his age yeah. comparables. So I, I think I've I've always really liked his swing and his power ever since he was an amateur. And I think he's I think it's gonna be hit and power. Like 7, if if not 80 type power. It's I mean, the exit velocity is already pretty close to the top of the charts as far as what we see from major league hitters at, at his peak. And again, he's only 20. He's going to get bigger and stronger even. And, and just even, I think he's a smart hitter already. I think he's just going to become even more knowledgeable as far as how pitchers are trying to attack him and, and what he can do with certain... Mm-hmm pitches so i I think he's just going to be that prototypical like middle of the lineup perennial all-star type guy who can hit and get on base and hit for power too you made me think of another guy who is not to julio's
1: caliber as a prospect right now but is the kind of bigger bodied even bigger than julio already uh kind of slugger who is off to a good start and has put up some pretty outstanding exit velocities and that's Jordan Walker was a first round pick uh, to the Cardinals. He's hitting 368, 500, 684. I think it was encouraging to me is he's walked once more than he struck out so far. Um, so he's, he's got off to a really good start. And, and, and the exit velocities that we've seen from him early this season are just pretty phenomenal. So I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. He's a guy who, I think there were some questions about like holes in his swing, swing and miss in general. But for how big he is, he always moved really well um, and and just really impressed scouts with just the body control. And the last video I saw of him, I haven't watched any of his games, but like one of the clips, I don't remember if it was BP or just like a highlight of one of the homers that he's hit. Like he looks like an absolute monster right now, just physically. He's already grown into his body pretty significantly since the last time I saw him in person. Um, so he's he's exciting. Are, are there any other players uh i know they're minor league guys since we can finally talk about these guys who you wanted to mention um who are off the hot starts or just wanted to talk about we've fit on a good amount it's been fun
2: yeah i, I like I, I agree with you on jordan walker the other guy man dude francisco alvarez just he's <laughs> he's probably got those guys on on weight maybe not so much on on height but <laughs> he, he's just as strong like stoutly built catcher who has a really aggressive swing a lot of bat speed a lot of power a lot of strength and he's a really good hitter man <laughs> like this he's just such an advanced hitter for his age the the Mets were right on point when they signed him out of Venezuela i think some other teams that's more questions about it. I mean he's always he was always a really good prospect but it, it like just physically he looked different I mean is this like some early physically mature guy who's just you know beating up on on guys who just have less physicality than him was, was something of a question maybe as an amateur but he looks he looks really good he looks really really good right now um yeah.
1: Through his first eleven games, he's hitting four fifty five, five seventy eight, six thirty six, one homer, three doubles, and ten walks to just four strikeouts. Yeah, uh, and he's at Low A St. Lucie, uh, and again, just nineteen years old still.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I, I really really like him. I, I think there's some things he needs to clean up still on the defensive side. At least coming into the year, let's get some more update reports on him defensively as the season goes on, but man, that is a really good bat and power too. Yeah, it seems like he's
1: just been trending in the right direction for for a good while now. Uh
2: any other guys? Uh yeah, him and then I would say Noelvi Marte too is another guy. I think Kyle's gotten to see him this year. Julio's teammate with the Mariners. well not on the same team, but uh, teammate with the Mariners. He's in Oloay we've been really aggressive on him ever since he was an amateur. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty close between him and Marco Luciano. It was like him, Luciano, like Alvarez signed that year, to Diego Cartaya signed that year. Actually, or Elvis Martinez signed that year, too. He got the biggest bonus. But, I mean, I, I remember seeing Marte and Luciano in a Dominican prospect league showcased one of the big events they had in in Chicago and it was pretty clear those two guys were were the best players on the field to me and I I always loved Marte's combination of athleticism and just a really dynamic swing like almost like those Blue Jays guys we were we were talking about before with that rhythm and that flow to his swing with that aggressive leg kick and and just the the swing path comes through the the hitting zone really well stays in there for for a good amount of time and he's he's strong he's even he's much stronger now I would say even compared to when he was an as an amateur I don't know that he stays at at shortstop I wouldn't push him off the position yet but I was gonna
1: ask about that because the the errors kind of jump out at you just looking at the box score and I was gonna just see like what the thoughts were on his defense. Um, and even this year, he's he's got four errors in his first 11 games. So, but again, I haven't been watching him or anything. So. Yeah.
2: I mean, I could see him going to third, maybe second, either spot. I mean, it seems like his bat would play could put him in an outfield corner. I, I don't think he's going to do that, but he's, he's a good athlete, a good hitter. He dominated the DSL last year. I mean, he sh- probably shouldn't have even been in the DSL, probably any other organization in baseball, would have had him already in either the Arizona League or or the GCL, but the Mariners are are really conservative with their first year assignments for their Latin American signings. So we've we've been pretty aggressive. Obviously, you know, number one prospect in the DSL already had him in the in our top one hundred. So we've been really aggressive with him. But yeah, four hundred four, four eighty three, six thirty five, walks, power. There's there's just a lot to. <laughs> to like with, uh, with Noel V. Marte. Yeah, and
1: there's a lot to like about the minor league season actually going on. It's been a, a blast to talk about some of these guys who are performing for the first time on the podcast. Hope you guys have been enjoying some minor league games, whether you are able to get out to some in person or you're watching on MILB TV or just following along um, through the coverage of Baseball America. Uh, it's fun to have the hot sheets back. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been fun to talk through some guys. We're going to go to a quick break. Um, But then we'll be back to jump into a few other things and take some listener questions. Thank you guys for uh, sticking with us. And we're back. Thank you guys for joining us again. Um, We're going to get into some listener questions in a few minutes. But I did want to throw out the White Sox drama to you, Ben. Um, I think it's very surprising that we have some managerial drama with the White Sox at this point. Um, and they've been one of the better teams in baseball right now. They're 26 and 16 at the top of the AL Central. They've got one of the better run differentials in baseball. I actually think it's the best. They're plus 60, uh, plus 73 right now, which which is tops in the league. But somehow there is some drama going on, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it because I was a little bit ticked off when I just saw what was going on. Obviously, Yerman Mercedes recently hit a 3 0 pitch from Williams Astudio, who was on the mound in a uh, blowout of the Twins. And I, I guess we should just not be surprised when players get criticized for hitting home runs and advantageous counts and blowouts. But it, it seems like Tony LaRusa was not having it. And it also seems like the White Sox players and Tony LaRusa are kind of like, going back and forth through the media lately which is just weird so i wanted to get your thoughts on that situation as a whole because i can't it really blows my mind that players who are paid based on their performance and players who are in the major leagues trying to win baseball games are so frequently criticized and in this instance by their own by their own team what what is happening
2: yeah, I don't <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all bizarre to me. I I, I don't I don't have a problem with Herman Mercedes swinging at a pitch in a game like what do you want do you want him to not? Yes, people try? people
1: want him to not swing. I don't understand it. I really don't understand like what is the argument against it? It is it makes no sense to me. It's like even even if these guys weren't paid like based on their performance, if that wasn't the system we use for whatever reason, like you're trying to win games, do we want to implement a mercy rule at the major league level so we don't embarrass teams when they're getting blown out? Is that the solution? These unwritten rules, just really tick me off.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, in high school, if you're up by, well, like 10 runs after five yeah. innings. And I think it just... makes
1: all the sense in the world in high school to have a mercy rule or in college
2: to have a mercy rule or
1: at any level that's not professional sports.
2: Yeah, I don't understand, I, I, I don't understand like the sensitivity to what this guy's, can he, can he swing at a 3-1 pitch?
1: Well, it's funny, one can of he, the, can he swing the at a pitch? I think one of the broadcasts, I, I'm assuming it's for the Twins broadcast, someone actually said like, why are you swinging at that pitch? You're about to get another one just like it, which made it seem like it would have been okay if he hit a home run on a 3-1 count against a non-pitcher at the major league level. So I don't. I don't
2: know. Yeah, and I don't. I don't understand why Larusa doesn't have his players. Back. Like, why are you throwing your player under the bus? I could see. All right, hey, I gave you a sign. You missed the sign. That's an issue. Like, that's a separate question of whether he should have a take sign in that count or not. But all right, you gave him a sign. The player missed the sign. If you want to talk to him about it privately after the game okay, but why are you not supporting your guy and your guy who also is like one of the best hitters in baseball right now? That's very bizarre to me. I, I don't get, I mean, the Twins obviously took exception to it too. They threw yeah threw behind him later. And then what, Baldelli got ejected from the game it's like well I think
1: even after he got thrown at I think La was asked about it and he he said I didn't have a problem with what the twins did
2: right that's (laughs) like like, I mean it seems like if
1: the twins have a problem with it don't get annihilated in a baseball game and put Williams Estudio on the mound like that's what should be embarrassing here not a guy hitting a home run when you have a non-pitcher pitching in a major league game that counts
2: yeah yeah I mean if you talk about like respecting the game or the other team. You can put a pitcher in the game if you're putting in a position player to pitch. I feel like you can kind of throw some of your expectations for for sportsmanship or, or not sportsmanship, but just professional conduct out there. Like the the three o thing is just I get it. It's like a tra- very traditional thing, but I don't have any problem with. Ehrman Mercedes swing. I'm sure. I'm sure all of our listeners are shocked to hear that we both have this stance on. Yeah. on this issue.
1: And I don't want to rant too much. I normally I don't like to get too ranty, but um, I just wanted to like bring this up because it's going on. It was a pretty big narrative in baseball. Um, but we can move on. The Twins are 14-27 at the bottom of the L Central right now. But uh, we can go and take listener questions. Um, we have a few today. Uh, Andy Sims on Twitter asked, "Hey Carlos and Ben." got a prospect question for you. Uh, Braves fans are frustrated with a perceived lack of direction when it comes to transitioning a starting prospect to a reliever prospect. What is the standard practice when making that transition? Do teams generally let their pitchers get accustomed to relief in the minors or do they do what it seems like the Braves do and use them as relievers at the major league level, but starters as they bounce back and forth in the minor leagues. So a bit of a lengthy one, but, um, I mean, I think my answer is probably it just varies based on team need and based on the pitcher. I, I don't think there's one standard way that teams develop these players. Um, I don't know you think there's one standard like within teams. Like I, I just think it varies a lot if you need help in the bullpen and you've got a bunch of really promising uh, pitchers in your system like the Braves who, who can start, but you don't have spots for them. It makes sense to me to – if they're ready to, to put them in the bullpen and try and help the major league team win right now. Um, but for teams that maybe aren't as competitive uh, and they don't, and they have guys who are starters and maybe could use a little more polish in the minors, it makes some sense to keep them in a starting role. I think it just depends. Do you have any thoughts on this, man?
2: Yeah. I think typically you want to keep your pitchers in the minor leagues in a starting role for as long as possible to try to maximize their value, even for guys who, and, and to maximize their development. Two, because even if you draft a guy and you're like, yeah, like we think this guy's going to end up in the bullpen, most likely one, you might end up being wrong. You might end up being better than you think, and you might end up being able to stick as a starter. But the second thing is, all right, well, you also just are going to get more development and he'll get more experience if he's going in the starting rotation and throwing five, six innings at a time, as opposed to working out of the bullpen and only throwing an inning or an inning and change or a couple innings every few days uh, throughout the season more, more sporadically. So you're just going to get more, more bulk innings, more opportunities to, to work in multiple pitches, your fastball breaking ball changeup, whatever is in your arsenal. So you'll just get more, more development time there, more more time to practice just throwing strikes and, and working on your command too. If you're developing as a starter, as opposed to a reliever, in the minor leagues, um, but I, you know, look, I, you know, when you get closer to, if you're getting closer to the major leagues, and you think a guy's role is going to be a reliever, yeah, you might move him once he gets to AAA into a relief role just to get some experience working on that on that schedule of having to operate you know come in with runners on base or uh, or just get get used to that workload or being able to come in and maybe air out your fastball a little bit more than than you would be accustomed to but but yeah it just kind of depends on on the on the team and the player and, and the situation that you kind of happen to be in at the time I don't know if there's one playbook that is kind of the, the custom uh, or, or the typical playbook that teams go by when kind of transitioning those prospects from starters to to, to major league relievers?
1: All right, uh, Louis G. on Twitter asks, or he says, uh, Mariners right-hander George Kirby seemed like a high floor, low ceiling first rounder. Uh, repeatable delivery sits low mid nineties with fastball tall college work in progress secondaries now he's touching 102 for Jerry Depoto's podcast. My questions: Can we believe a GM about their player's metrics? Is touching 102 actually that impressive? How much better a pro- how much better of a prospect does this velo make Kirby? And do we underestimate the growth potential of college pitchers? What prospect demographic has the most? Underestimated upside. So a lot there, but I do think George Kirby is a really interesting prospect, especially with the increased velocity, because I, I do think you're generally right with how you framed uh, Kirby's profile coming out of the draft. He was one of the better strike throwers in the class um, coming out of Elon. Uh, I think there were a lot of questions about, like you mentioned, the the impact that his secondaries were going to have. Was he going to be a guy who was going to consistently be able to get whiffs inside the zone and outside of the zone with those pitches? Um, they always were solid. They were never bad, but they never looked like the kind of elite secondaries that you typically want for a college pitcher that you're taking at the top of a draft. And I think that maybe is why he was available to the Mariners, but, but I do think this is kind of the mold of a pitcher that you want to take a guy who has pretty exceptional command and you're hoping that you can either develop some fastball velocity or as he continues to fill out, he'll, he'll just naturally grow into it. And it seems like that's the case for George Kirby. Um, And I do think, I know I'm, I'm kind of going a, a while here. I'll get it to you in a second, Ben, but I do think touching one or two is, is that impressive? I mean, Velocity is, is not the end-all, be-all. It's not just like if you throw hard, you're going to be successful. But when you combine pretty elite velocity and, and touching one or two is extremely elite with although I don't know if we have well, – what the highest we have him reported as touching. But either way, we have heard really good things about his velocity. When you combine that velocity with like maybe 70 control, I think that's a really – great combination and it only does increase the upside of the player's profile um and really quickly he's thrown uh two starts so far this year at high everett 3.12 era over 8.2 innings with 12 strikeouts and just one walk which the walk is not surprising at all i don't think he's ever walked more than like two and a half batters per nine going back to his college days so that should not be surprising but ben i'll throw it to you what are your thoughts on on Lewis G's question, everything he's, he's gone into here.
2: Yeah. I mean, we had a, we had his velocity ticking up last year already to, to 99 at the alternate site. We have our triple digits this year from him. So yeah, it's, it's a legitimate, pretty significant, significant velocity increase for George Kirby where, yeah, before, like you were saying, Carlos, it's a guy who throws a lot of strikes has, has really good feel and touch and feel for pitching. And oh now he also throws throws triple triple digits or, or you know at least can touch there. I think he's sitting more in the mid nineties, but he can, you know, he can dial it down, I guess dial it down to the mid 90s that sounds not right. Not right. Dial it down to the mid nineties and and throw a lot of strikes. Like you said, didn't didn't walk anybody last year in his pro debut. Only one walk so far. This season, it, it seems like more velocity. We've got a bigger fastball and it. it hasn't come at the expense of his control. It's not like he's out there just throwing with a lot more effort and he has less clue of where the ball is going. It seems like he still has that same command that he's been known for going back to his time in college and, and early on in his pro career and now you're just taking that same guy and just layering on uh, a bigger and, and more lively fastball too. So, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely been an arrow-up guy over, uh, over the last year or so. Yeah,
1: I think just talking about George Kirby and his, his development here, I think this is kind of what you were hoping for with a guy like Michael McGreevy, who I know is one of Kyle's favorite players in, in the 2021 class. He's a right-handed pitcher out of uh, UC Santa Barbara, and he kind of – just reading over George Kirby's draft report um, just now, there's a lot of similarities in my mind. I mean, both are, both are going to probably be seen as like – I mean, Kirby was seen as one of the best strike throwers in his class. I'm sure at the end of the day, McGreevy is going to be seen as one of the best strike throwers in this class. Six-foot-four, around 200, 200 pounds for both of them. So similar frame. Um, again, McGreevy is a guy who's like low 90s mostly – uh, has been into the mid nineties. Um, I think McGreevy's secondaries might be better than Kirby's, so maybe it's not a, a perfect um, comparison. But I do think that like just these pitchers who throw strikes at a very high level. I I want to invest in as many of those profiles as I can because it just seems like it seems like they go on to just get better. Um, we'll move on from that one. Uh, Anderson Christopher on Instagram asks. Uh, Do you see Judd Fabian making his way back up to the top 15 by July? Um, Judd, I don't know if we've – I'm sure we've talked about it on this podcast, but Fabian has been one of the tougher players to peg this year. He continues to be. He did make an adjustment. Again, I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod. I feel like I've talked about it a lot recently, but he made a mechanical adjustment in two strike counts, and it looked like that was helping him kind of tick down the strikeout rate, and he got it below 30% at one point. Then he had a, a bit of a down weekend this past weekend. So I think top 15 probably is going to be tough for a guy who's striking out as much as he has. Um, it only takes one team, though. So I, I wouldn't say it's like impossible. And we've mentioned plenty of times before that it's not the greatest college hitting class. So I would I would be surprised, I would say. That's how I would frame it. It seems like more of a back of the first um, guy at this point or or a little bit after that for an overpay. Um, but again, there there's still a little bit of time, and he has shown the ability to make a few adjustments. Um, but I would not bet on him getting into the top fifteen just because, I mean, teams just don't take players that strike out at the rate that he's currently striking out. Um, so it would have to be a really really hot finish, I would I would imagine, or a team that just really steps out on his talent and, and believes they can fix um, that strikeout rate at the next level.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening either it's like you said the the strikeout rate is just too much of a a red flag to be going in the top half of the first round like you said eh, maybe like there's a whole jumble of players once you get to the back of the first round range there's a whole mix of guys where it's like ooh, like i like one or or like a handful of things they do but there's a whole bunch of other red flags that are are whipping pretty hard there obviously in in fabian's case it's the strikeout rate which is a pretty big concern for for me i don't, I don't think i'd be comfortable taking him in the first rounds right now but but yeah like you said it you know just takes one team that thinks oh what if we if we change this about him because i mean the, the overall performance just like the slash line is is pretty good he's hitting for power i mean he is leading he's leading division one hitters
1: and homers along with Matthew Nelson. So
2: yeah. And playing center field and playing a good defensive center field man. and he's 20. So he's younger than, you yeah. know, mo- most of the guys you're, you're looking at in the draft. So there's some things working in his favor. He, uh, not younger score. than Wander Franco. No, <laughs> that's yeah.
1: That's uh, yeah, man. He's, I, yeah. I love talking about these international guys. Cause it really does put into context. Like, Age and where you're at in your professional career, it's crazy. It's crazy what these kids are doing. He'd be well, like
2: the same ages or or the same, like, like Hassel and Veen and (laughs) like Austin Hendrick. And I think it would be the it would either be
1: that class or it'd be the Abrams and Bobby Witts of the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, you're right. It's uh, even more impressive. It's that group.
1: (laughs) Yeah, CJ is uh 20 this year. That's and random. I don't know if Bobby Witt has already turned 21. He was a little bit older in his uh, class, but either way, it'd be that like 2019 high school group.
2: Um, yeah, he's uh, he's he's gonna be special. I mean, I'm I'm glad in retrospect that we put an 80 early on <laughs> on Flat Junior's hit tool, and I think that caught people's attention because I don't know that we'd ever. It
1: caught mine on that. I remember before. looking at it and being like, whoa. It is yeah, a, it is a very bold move to put an AD hit tool on anyone. And looks like you got that one right, Ben.
2: Yeah, he's just such a complete hitter. And and the same with Franco in a very different a, a very different style of hitter. But I don't know, man. If if you can't feel comfortable putting a top of the scale hit grade on those two guys as prospects. I think I don't think you're, I don't think you're you're ever going to do it.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I think that's all we had today. Um, in terms of questions, um, thank you guys again for, for listening. If you made it this far, um, sorry for missing last week, Ben was traveling, but, um, hopefully the length of these podcasts will make that up for you and we'll try to continue doing a podcast every week here in the future. Um, But Ben, is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we jumped off? Do you want to plug anything to the listeners that you're working on or you have coming in the future or just any final closing thoughts before we get out of here?
2: No, we've got the Twitter feed up at Future Pro Pod. So if you follow us on Future Pro Pod, you'll get alerted when there's new, new episodes or you can send questions in there. We get a really... Really enjoy the questions that we get. I think we have a a lot of really thoughtful questions from from all you guys. So always appreciate hearing that.
1: The fact that we've been able to do um, listener mailbag segments every single episode is is pretty nice. So thank you guys for sending those in.
2: So yeah, no, just uh, appreciate you guys following along with us.
1: Yep. And if you um, have not rated or reviewed the podcast and you feel so inclined, uh, that would help us out. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has already done that. Um, but yeah, this was a fun episode. We'll be back next week at some point to talk more baseball. Um, for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.